Let's carry on with our one series. We've been in this for a few weeks. Um, just had such amazing speakers speaking on this. Uh, forgive me, I'm just going to uh, move that down a little bit. The first week I kicked it off and we looked at that meaty subject of the Trinity. How are the Father and the Son and the Spirit one? Uh, and we looked at that. And then we looked at the model uh, that it provides for us in terms of how we have relationships. And we looked at that in the context of John chapter 17, 20 to 24. I'm going to, going to very quickly just jump on that. You don't have to turn with me. It will be on the screen. And this was a prayer that Jesus prayed to the Father before, um, before he died on the cross and was resurrected. And it says this, I do not ask for these only. That was his disciples. But also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's you and I. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. And so we looked at what that, uh, unpacked what that looks like. And then after that, we had the wonderful John and Andrea Taylor Cummins who looked at how we love each other well. And I, and I love the way these guys just unpacked the practicalities of that, gave us some tools on how we can turn up well to difficult conversations and, and how we take responsibility of how we are with people. We don't just say, oh, well, they that landed badly on them. It's their own fault because of how they received it. No, we have, a, we have our part to play in how we love one another. And if you missed that talk, you can catch up with that. Last week, uh, the wonderful Richard Gathard, our executive pastor, uh, and uh, Lucinda, who is doing an amazing job working with our connect groups uh, across the church, had a Q&A session with some of our wonderful connect group uh, leaders around what it means to connect with one another and the importance of that. And I just want to just pause on on that at this moment and say our heart in this church is that everyone would be connected. It's a very big church. It's a very large church, and we want everyone to feel connected with one another. Now, it just so happens that connect groups are the perfect place to do that. And so we want to encourage you to say, if you're not in a connect group, get in one. And we want to help you do that. Email the office. There are forms out there. But equally, we need more connect groups. So if you feel prompted and led to host a connect group or lead a connect group or facilitate a connect group, please get in touch with us. Speak to Rich at the end of the service, or I'm sure Lucinda would love to speak with you as well. But that is part of our vision of creating spaces for people to encounter Jesus. And so if you want your part in that vision and in that plan, then maybe consider hosting and leading a, or leading a connect group. Okay, well, that brings me nicely on to this week and the subject we're going to discuss, which is the subject of unity in the body of Christ. And to do that, I'd like us to turn together to Ephesians 4, 6. Um, and we're going to look at what Paul discussed, or indeed wrote to the church in Ephesus, around this subject. It's Ephesians 4. I might back up slightly and, and give us a bit of a ramp into verse 4 by reading from verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. We looked at that, as I said, John and Andrea looked at that piece. Eager 
to maintain the unity of the spirit. Isn't that interesting? Eager to maintain. Who's eager here? To maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Here we are, verse four. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. That is a jam-packed two verses, four to six. Let me ask you a question. How many ones were there in that? Little, sorry? Can't, lots. Yeah, very clever. I'm looking for a specific number, if that's okay. Seven. Well done. Thank you, Tracy. Seven. So I thought, wouldn't it be rather nice to look at those seven this morning in the brief time that we have left? Um, but as we look at these seven, I rather think that you need to be aware that you might be signing yourself up for something. Hands up here who wants unity in the body. Are you sure? Are you sure you want it? Because it kind of means you need to do something about it. Oh, what's he going to say? Well, I'm only going to read the seven. It's fine. I'm not going to go off the Bible. But you see, you can't read the Bible and walk away and not expect that it challenges us. I mean, it says the word is like a mirror, you know. It's like we see ourselves in that and it will challenges us. And this is what this is morning is going to be about. If you're hot under the collar, it's not because of what I'm saying. It's just because the ACs are struggling. Trust me. <laughs> Let's look at the first one, shall we? There is one body. Now, what body is this talking about? Well, you've heard it said, we are the body of Christ. I've said that a few times. What on earth does that mean? Isn't that just a Christianism terminology, phraseology thing? Well, let's look at this. When Christ entered our world, now, I was intentional on that phrasing, when Christ entered our world. Why? Because he pre-existed and co-existed with the Father. And we looked at that in week one. So if you need to recap, do so. Jesus didn't just become Jesus when he was born in Bethlehem. Jesus was in the beginning, coexisted and pre-existed with the Father. Jesus took a physical body. In fact, it's very interesting because in Hebrews 10, it says actually that, that this body was prepared for him. It was through his physical body, wasn't it, that Jesus demonstrated what? The love of the Father, the love of God, and what extended the kingdom of God in bodily form. And through his interactions with people, what do we see? The healings, the extension of mercy and of love and of deliverance and of power, that came through the bodily Jesus, fully God and fully man. And of course, culminating on the cross as he bore the sin on his body that was due us. Why? So that the punishment that was due us would be on Jesus. And he bore that for us. Why? So that we could enter into the presence of a holy God. That is the heart of the good news, the gospel message. Now, after the cross, what happened? Jesus died and he rose again and he ascended with the Father. We all, all together so far, yes? So where does that leave you and I and where does that leave Jesus? Well, we are to continue the work of Christ as his body in the world. You see, we demonstrate the same love, the same kindness, the same deliverance, the same healing, the same mercy the same way that Jesus did when he walked here on earth with us. You see, we are called to carry on what Jesus started and extend his kingdom. And you see, it is in that way, therefore, that the church is the body of Christ. That is what we mean when we say we're the body. And you see, if you understand what it means, it rather implies that we have something to do, does it not? 
you sign up to be the body of Christ with Christ as the head. In 1 Corinthians 12, 27, I believe I looked at this on the first week and I'll just mention it briefly. Now you are the body of Christ, says Paul, and each one of you is a part of it. And it talks about that we are like a body. Some of us are eyes, some of us are ears, some of us are hands. It's not that one is more important than the other. In fact, the body cannot function fully without all the body parts. We can't be a full-bodied church without you and without you and without you and without you and without you. Did you know that? We're called to play our part. And so the first question I want to ask you on the back of this first one is this. Are you playing your part? And actually, maybe the question should be, do you know what part you are called to play? Maybe that for you is something that the Holy Spirit is nudging in you, you know. Trevor's going to unpack this more for us next week, but how, what it means to be family and to serve one another. And I want you to know that in this place, everyone gets to play. That in this place, it's not about the man or woman on the front of the stage. It's about you guys being church and not just in these four walls, but hey, even more importantly, outside of these four walls as well. So don't just say, I want unity. If you don't ask yourself the question, what part am I playing in the body of Christ? Let's move on to the next one. Number two, there is one spirit. Now, what spirit are we talking about? The Holy Spirit. Thank you. It's the Holy Spirit of God, part of the Trinity. Now, each of our stories in terms of our relationship with God and how the Holy Spirit has worked in us will look different, but it will have the hallmark of the same things. It's the one spirit who convicted us of our sins, the one spirit who made Christ known to us and the love of God to us. It's the one spirit who caused us to be a new creation when we said yes to Jesus. It is the one spirit who fills us with the life of Jesus and conforms us to him. It is the one spirit who empowers us with gifts of healing and wisdom and empowers us to extend his kingdom. It's the same spirit, the one spirit who is our comforter and who is our counselor. It is the one spirit who helps us in our weaknesses. It is the one spirit who will raise us again to be with Christ. That is the one spirit we're talking about. See, being a Christian isn't about, yeah, I believe in some kind of spirit, but I don't know what it does. It's about recognizing that as one, we are bound together. We are united together but by that very spirit of God. Have you ever met, met people for the first time who are Christians and you feel like, I've known you forever? It's like I've known you. Have you felt that? I felt that too. You shouldn't be surprised at that feeling, by the way. That is evidence that you're part of the same body. That is evidence that you are knitted together by the Spirit. It says in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, for in one Spirit, I love the word one, it's everywhere in the Bible, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. What does that mean? Anybody. I love the all-inclusive gospel of Jesus Christ. The all-inclusive gospel of Jesus Christ who were made to drink of one spirit. This is what it means to be under one spirit. But it means, and this is the question for you on this point, are you submitted to the spirit of God? Are you seeking God out? Are you saying, come Holy Spirit, would you minister to me at this time? Are you saying, Holy Spirit, would you empower me to be the body and extend God's healing in this moment? 
Holy Spirit, would you come and direct my path as I commit them unto you, knowing that you have a plan and purpose. And you see, when you say unity, what happens, you see, is that it puts upon us the obligation to seek the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is the conductor of the church. The Holy Spirit conducts all the parts, but we need to be submitted to the Spirit of God. And that is the question for you this morning. That brings us on to the third one. There is one, what's next? Hope. You've done spirit, one hope. That's uh, in verse four. What is hope? Now, the hope here isn't not the one we use, at, you know, in our normal vocabulary. You know, like, I hope it rains tomorrow and isn't hot. You know, I hope that Amazon Prime has this amazing air conditioning uh, sale on tomorrow and it will delivered on the same day. I mean, you know, that's not really hope, is it? It's kind of wishful thinking, you know. The hope that we're talking about in the Bible is a hope which is assured. See, the biblical definition of hope is a confident expectation. Hope is a firm assurance regarding things that are unseen. So what is the Christian hope? Well, let me answer it in this way. Of course, we have hope for the plans and purposes that God places in us individually, but corporately, we share a hope. Corporately, we share a hope. And this is what Paul is talking about here. It is the hope of Jesus. And I think we find such a great answer to this when Paul in Romans 8.18 says this, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy comparing with the glory that is revealed to us. There's a quote here that says, objective reality of resurrected life. Hope is the objective reality of resurrected life that we will experience in fullness in the new heaven and earth. I want to say that again. Hope is the objective reality, a reality that's subjective, not based on your feelings, of a resurrected life that we will experience in fullness in the new heaven and earth. You see, that is the Christian hope that we have. That is what we all share. In fact, it says in, in Titus 2 that that is our blessed hope. Now, once upon a time before we became affluent and wealthy, when you asked a Christian, I would say pre-1940s, what is the Christian hope? They would say to be with Jesus for eternity, to have my resurrected body, I can't wait because this one's falling apart. But what's become now is what's the Christian hope? It's that I have everything I need in this life, that my life will be easy and it'll fill up my bank balance and I'll always be healthy. Listen, you hear it seep out. You go into YouTube and you hear some of these preachers. That for them is the focus of the Christian hope. I don't want to, uh, to uh, how do I put this nicely? I don't want to discredit those guys, but equally I want to say that's not accurate. Because if you live your life thinking that everything is going to be peachy and rosy, you're going to discover at some point or later that's not true and you're going to have a fall. See, the Christian, and that's not to say, of course, that we don't seek God for healing. That's not to say that we don't seek him for peace. That's not to say that we don't expect that he wants our cup to overflow. But as Jesus said, you will experience difficulties and tribulation, tribulation with a small t in this life. And so it's in those moments, like Paul, you know, Paul was in chains when he wrote this, for I consider that the suffering of this present age are not worth comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed. 
And he wrote this in prison. Anyone here in prison? No. I rather think this is a challenge. You know, I've got to say it's been, you know, hard few years for all of us, hasn't it? And there are moments when I've said, Lord, I just thank you that I consider all this nothing compared with eternity with you. And what happens? Hope rises. And you see, hope deferred makes the heart grow sick. That's in Proverbs 13, 12. I want to impart upon you this hope and this truth that it won't always be bad. That it's okay that Jesus is for you and not against you and you will spend eternity with him and he will wipe every tear away. Listen, it says in James that we are here for but a breath. If we fix our eyes on Jesus, then the effect is everything minimizes, the troubles minimize. And I don't want to minimize any pains or suffering that you yourselves may be going through. I rather hope that I'm encouraging you just to fix your eyes on the hope that Jesus has for you. And that is the hope that all of us share. And so my question for you on this point is this. What are you putting your hope in this morning? What are you putting your hope in? Is your hope in Jesus alone? Or is it something else? Is it your bank balance? Is it your health? Is it your friends? Is it your status? Is it your position? Are you putting your hope in your own abilities and your own strength and your ability to get things done? Because if any of your hope is in any of those things, I say with love, it's not a firm foundation. Because when the storms of life come, it's the house that's built on the rock that will stand. And the rock is Jesus. Amen. Right, let's look at number four because I am drastically running out of time. Number four, there is one Lord. Now, we often use the word Lord. We sing about Lord, don't we? Lord Jesus, we love you, Lord. But do we actually know what the word means? You know, the Greek word, the root of Lord is kurios. And it comes from the root word kuros, which means supremacy. And you see, what we need to understand is that when we say Jesus is Lord, it means that he has supremacy over us that he had, we belong to him and he has the power of deciding and mastering our fate. That's what it means when we say Lord. And you see, I think the truth is, and I recognize this in different parts in my life, we often know Jesus as our savior. He died on the cross for me. We often know Jesus as our friend, don't we? He's my buddy Jesus. But how many of us recognize him as our Lord? as the one who has supremacy over us. How many of us recognize him as Lord? When we come to this place together in one, we worship our Lord Jesus, but that means we submit to him. We submit to him. It says in 2 Corinthians 4, 5, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. You see, not only do we become servants and indeed friends of Jesus, but we are here to serve others as well. That is what it means to worship the Lord. That is what it means to worship the Lord. Is Jesus Lord of your life? Have you fully surrendered every part of your life to Lord Jesus? Have you seeked him and said, Lord, you tell me what to do? For not my will, but yours. That is our prayer. 
Number five, there is one faith. That's it. Now, faith, of course, can be used in two different ways. One is I have faith to do something. You know, I have faith that if I sit on a stool, it will stand up. I have faith that as I go and pray for someone, Jesus is going to move. But what Paul is talking about here is not that kind of faith. He's talking about our faith that we hold together, the faith that's revealed in the, in the, in the Word of God, our tenets of our faith. And you see, in biblical Christianity, there is only one faith. It is not true to say that every way leads to God. That is false. There's only one way, and his name is Jesus. That is a tenant of our faith. And there are many tenants of our faith. And indeed, our faith, this word shows us how we live our lives, how we are to worship him and sacrifice all for him, how we are to live a holy life. We sang holy, holy, holy. Not only is God holy, but he causes us to be holy. What does that mean? It means that we are to be set apart for him. And that means, therefore, that we need to come out of the world and all its trappings and the, the lusts of the, the flesh and the pride of life and all those things. And so the body of the church holds that same faith. It's not okay to say, I'll just take bits of this and the other bits I'll leave. That's not one faith. Now, there are, there are major doctrines in here which we would be dogmatic about, like the Trinity and that Jesus is Lord and he died on the cross. But there are other things in here that, you know, we're not dogmatic on. And indeed, many of the body of Christ have spent centuries discussing. So I'm not talking about we all agree on every single piece. What I'm saying is, is the tenets of our faith is that what we agree on. And what I want to say at this point is later in the autumn, we'll be running our equip. And Vineyard Introductions talks about what those are for this church and indeed for the movement that we're in. And I'd encourage you, if you haven't done that before, to sign up for that when it becomes available and do that. Uh, I think that will be really helpful for you. Um, as I bring this plane into land, although we are rather late, uh, for those of you on Ryanair, have flown Ryanair, we won't be playing any music. <laughs> Thank you, because we are late. But the band will be playing a worship song, which is great. Where are we up to? Number six, there is one what? Baptism. Thank you. You're following me. Excellent. Is this water or spirit? This is about water in this context. Now, of course, there's much debate, isn't there, amongst the church for how you baptize someone in water. Do you sprinkle? Do you immerse? Is it an infant? Is it an adult? I don't believe that Paul is getting into the specifics of that, other than to say what he's talking about is that we are one in identifying with Christ's death and resurrection. You know, that's what baptism is about. It is about recognizing that we have died with Christ when we say yes to Jesus, and we are risen anew out of the waters of baptism and new creation. That is what Paul is talking about. We are all baptized into the identification of Jesus. We're all baptized in the knowledge that we have died to self and we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. I'd like to invite the band up wherever they are at this point. And can I say at this point as well, have you been baptized? Would you like to be baptized? Later on in the year, date TBD, we will have another baptism service. We had one earlier in the year. And, you know, if you haven't been baptized before, do it. It's in the, it's in the Bible. Follow me and be baptized. It's a public declaration of your faith in Jesus. And it is just a wonderful, precious thing to do. And so we are all baptized into Jesus. And lastly, 
There is one God and Father. Deuteronomy 6.4 says there is but one Lord. We don't acknowledge that there is some impersonal force out there. When we come together, we worship a living, personal God that we call Abba, that we call our Father. Do you see God as your Father? That's the question. Well, I'm absolutely over there. But for some of us, that's difficult. And I looked to that in the first week. Our earthly fathers, the experience that we had can oftentimes shape how we see God, our heavenly father. And that's why it's so good to get into the word and read about this heavenly father who loves you so much that he sent his only begotten son to die for you so that all who may believe will not perish but have eternal life. It talks about a father that we can run into his arms as we look at the parable of the prodigal son. It doesn't matter what you've done, when you've done it, you can always turn back to the Father and run into his arms. Why? Because he's already running towards you. He's already running towards you. And there you go, church. That is what it means as we look at being one together. We are all different. We have different personalities. We come from different cultures. We look different. We smell different. We different heights. But what we hold in common are these seven things. But if we want unity in this church, it means we need to sign up for these seven things. Unity doesn't come from the front here saying we need to be united. It comes from the work of the Spirit in the individual members of the body. And that is you and that is me. Let us stand as I pray. Thank you, Lord. Oh, Lord, we do thank you that you have united us as one by your spirit. Indeed, Lord, we are the model. We are a model of what you will bring about in your millennial kingdom, in your millennial reign. It says in your scripture, Lord, that, that you have caused us to be one so that the world would know that you are Lord. It is incumbent upon us, Lord, to be eager for unity, as the Apostle Paul stated. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would be a church body that is eager to be united. And recognizing that isn't the job of the person sitting next to us, but, Lord, it is incumbent upon each one of us to respond to that. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would take these words and they would bear much fruit for your glory and for your namesake, we ask, in your precious name. Amen. Let us worship together, church.